Again, let me read from the Gospel of John. You'll find it on the back of your sermon outline, the first three verses of his 21 chapters. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So far the reading of God's Word. I'd like to tell you a story about a time when I was a young man, about 22 years old, and I was trying to discern whether or not to go into the ministry. I was a member of uh, what is now called the Presbyterian Church in the USA, which is the large, uh, known as a liberal mainline Presbyterian denomination. But I was at seminary in Philadelphia at that time. In 1979, there was a man, a minister of, again, the very liberal United Church of Christ, who wanted his credentials moved into the Presbyterian Church uh, down in Rockville, Maryland. And as Presbyteries do, he was examined on the floor of Presbytery, and he was asked, Was Jesus God? And he answered, No. Well, the exam went on and on, and then there was was a vote taken. Shall we admit this man into the pulpit of our churches? And the vote was, yes, yes, he's welcome. Well, the conservative uh, and Bible-loving group within that presbytery appealed to a higher judicatory, and over the next two years, this was discussed at great length, reported in Time magazine and in the New York Times. What does this have to do with me? In 1981, I'm at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, and it turns out that the Standing Judicial Commission of the PCUSA was meeting to adjudicate this matter one final time at the Philadelphia Marriott at the airport in West Philadelphia. And one of my classmates said, John, you know about this? I said, yes, I've heard about it. He said, you know, there's 50 chairs in that conference room at the airport, and you have to have a ticket to get in, and I have two. Would you like to come along? And I said, I'm very interested in this. And so I sat in the conference room, and in came seven uh, members of the Judicial Commission dressed in black robes, and they heard the case presented in favor of sustaining the Presbytery and admitting this man. And then a man who is actually one of my heroes that I'd known for many years, Dr. John Gerstner, from Pittsburgh, where I grew up, stood in opposition. And he made the case that to deny the deity of Christ was a non-negotiable for any Christian, for Jesus is Lord. After a a powerful presentation, the justices were dismissed. They deliberated for about 20 minutes. They came back in. We all sat there on the edge of our seats 
and they gave their ruling. We welcome Mansfield Caseman into the Presbyterian Church of the, of the USA. And it was a crushing moment, and dozens and dozens of churches subsequently left the mainline denomination. Many came into our denomination, others elsewhere, and thousands of church members went outside to other churches. Why did this matter to me so much? Because I was at the stage in my own life where I was asking, who is Jesus? And this was a catalyst in my own life to study the Scriptures, to search the Scriptures, to answer this question for myself. Let me ask you, let's suppose, you know, I'm in Syosset at Jackson Avenue and I don't get my car off the road and the train runs me over and the church hires a new senior pastor and he is asked, do you believe that Jesus was God? And he says, no. What would you do? Does it matter? Is Jesus God in our series of asking questions that people wrestle with? Here we are uh, in, in the middle of this series, and this is a critical question for every human being to answer. Is Jesus God? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. What do we know about Jesus? These are, these are mind-blowing questions, aren't they? But let's suppose for a moment that God can become human. He is God, after all. And if He's the creator of the world, you have to grant that He can enter the world He created. So, those who defend the faith, men like John Gerstner and others that I listed in your program this morning, they say, when you answer this question, you must study Jesus. Study what about Jesus? Study His character. Study His miracles. And study His very claims that He makes from His own lips. Think about it for just a moment. Just study His character. What do we know if we study Jesus Christ? What do we behold in this man who is unique among human beings? What do we see? We see a man whose character is one of righteousness, of holiness. Over the past few years, Pastor Martin and I have done what we call Christ-centered preaching because all we want to do is lift up Jesus. We see His righteousness, His holiness. We see His wisdom unsurpassed. We see His own personal discipline and strength. We see His compassion. We see His love and mercy. And we watch Jesus as He interacts with the despised and hated in the world, he goes to the Samaritan woman, the hated Samaritans, the Roman centurion, the hated Romans, 
the unclean leper. And he loves them. We study his character and we see the very attributes of God in this man. But of course, there's many good men that have walked this earth. That doesn't prove that he's God. So what do we pay attention to? Then we pay attention to what he does. And what do we behold but the record of miracle after miracle after miracle, not just from one source, but from all abundant sources. And Jesus walks this planet, and people are healed physically and psychologically. They encounter Jesus, and they're made new. The blind are given sight. The deaf have their ears unstopped. The lame are walking and leaping. We watch Jesus, and we see Him resuscitate the dead. And then he prophesies his own death and resurrection, and his greatest miracle is what? He himself, in fulfillment of his own prophecy, rises on the third day, just as he said. Behold the man turning water into wine, taking loaves and fishes and multiplying them to feed the thousands, a picture that he himself is the bread of life. Were all the people who reported these miracles deluded? What do you think? Was it just some conspiracy? It could not be so. The reports of Jesus doing His miracles are the great... The Bible says that God testified to the deity of His own Son through the miracles that Jesus did. But if you study his character and you pay attention to his miracles, then you listen. Will you listen to his claims? And what does he say? And what is said about him? The most provocative thing of all is that Jesus actually did claim to be God. He uses titles like Son of God, Messiah, the Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7. All of these have divine implications. And then, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, wake up. C.S. Lewis, in his fourth chapter in Mere Christianity, he says, pay attention to the most shocking thing about Jesus, which is that as he walks this earth, he goes about talking, Lewis says, as if he were God. He claims to forgive sins. He says things like that he always existed. He says that he's coming to judge the world in righteousness one day at the end of time. You know the verses. Remember in John 5, 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. He talks about Abraham in John 8. Do you know that passage? He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, do you remember? Jesus said to them, Before Abraham was, 
I am. And an electric shock runs down their spine. For he dares not only to say he preceded Abraham, but he uses the word that was spoken to Moses from the burning bush. When Moses says, declare to me, who is it that speaks to me? O God, from this burning bush, what is your name? And his answer, I am that I am. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Philip, Philip, have you been with me so long that you do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. But C.S. Lewis, in that fourth chapter of Mere Christianity, says the most shocking thing of all is that Jesus has the audacity to claim that he can forgive sins. Think about this. He's not just claiming to forgive some sins against him. He's walking around forgiving anybody's sins. And here's what Lewis says. Now, unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself, right? You tr- Lewis writes, you tread on my toes, I forgive you. You steal my money, I forgive you. But what should you make of a man himself unrobbed and untrodden upon who announces that he forgave you for treading on another man's toes and stealing other men's money? And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus acted as if, C.S. Lewis says, Jesus acted as if he were the party principally offended by all sins. How absurd. And Jesus doesn't just say that he is divine, but he acts like it. As he walks around, he's so radical in his teaching. It's breathtaking if you have never, if you're our guest today and you've never studied the New Testament and, and studied the life and the, and the miracles and the claims and the character of Jesus Christ, it's breathtaking because when Jesus walks this earth and when Jesus speaks, he's not like the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets who thunder their oracles to Israel, the Old Testament prophets begin their oracle with the words, Thus saith the Lord. But Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, and then declares the word of God from God, for he himself is God the Son. And all authority in heaven and on earth is granted to him. Who is this man? You see, not only do we see his, his character and his miracles and hear his claims, but then we have a testimony about him. That's what the New Testament is. The New Testament is the, is the Holy Spirit-inspired covenant document for the new covenant community foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Both, both testaments are God's Word, but you have this covenantal document that verifies and explains 
post-resurrection, who Jesus is. And when the Apostle John sits down to write the Gospel of John, it's a long book. It's 21 chapters. 21 chapters. And John is going to write about the man that he knew and walked alongside for three years. A man who got hungry and thirsty. A man who got tired. A man who felt pain and emotional anguish. A great man, a remarkable man. And John is going to write about the life and ministry of this man, Jesus, and he begins it in these first three verses And he says, the first thing out of my pen I want you to know is this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in relationship to God. And the Word was God. And He made all things. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And when a Muslim or a Jehovah's Witness comes to you and they say, well, Jesus was great. He he was probably the highest order of angels or something like that. You say to them, not so fast. Because John tells us at the end of verse 3, he says this. He says at the end of verse 3, without him was not anything made... Okay, that makes sense. Jesus is the source of creation, and even some uh, Jehovah's Witnesses might even agree to that. But then John adds three words. John Piper says, don't miss the next three words. That was made. Wait a minute. Without him was nothing made. That was made. What does that mean? And John is making it crystal clear that anything in the category of made was made by Jesus, and Jesus wasn't made by Jesus. Jesus is very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Our friends at Nicaea got it right. He is God. And so, let it be known that we here at the North Shore Community Church worship Jesus Christ as God. We fall down with Thomas, who after the resurrection fell before Jesus and cried out, My Lord and my God! The Scripture was read from Mark chapter 2. When Jesus forgives the sins of the paralytic, and um, they reply, He is committing blasphemy because He forgives sins. What do we say, North Shore Community Church? We say, no, it is not blasphemy. But in fact, this is the one who is our Savior. This is the one who forgives sin because He atoned for sin on the cross. And he went there, God, meeting God to satisfy the justice of God there in a way that we could never do for our own sins. You see, the cross makes perfect sense as God the Son satisfies the holiness and the justice of God the Father. And justice and mercy kiss at the cross. Do you see it? 
This is not blasphemy. This is who Jesus is. And so in your bulletin on the reflection, C.S. Lewis summarizes the challenge here. And listen to this. Look at this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. What do they say? I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall on your, at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What do you think? Lord, liar, or lunatic? Well, I ask you that because we look at that Mark chapter 2, and what does Jesus do? Jesus knows that people have trouble believing in him. He knows that. Maybe you're here today, and, and this is a little overwhelming for you. And so, the Bible tells us in Mark 2, verse 6, and this is the second point as I go along, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. And this is beautiful. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? And what we see is Jesus acknowledges that people have objections to him, and that's just part of his mercy. That's something beautiful about Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and you have questions. Maybe you have objections. Jesus knows there is an impulse that rises up in the human, in the, in the human flesh to reject him. Where does that come from? Well, these people model it for us. Their biggest objection is religion. Religion. Because Jesus is not fitting my sense of what religion should be. And you know what? I remember that before I was a Christian. I realized that religion was something to help me be a better person. I'm already a good person, but religion can help me be a better person. Just please, none of that suggestion that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior, you see. It didn't fit their religious worldview. And this is what is so traumatizing to Muslims and Hindus and, and agnostics and people who don't think they need a Savior. But Martin taught us convincingly last week. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
Do you hear His voice? I also think, just having been a, an, a pastor for so many years, I see people who resist and reject Jesus, and I see that deep in their subconscious is this fear of rejection. Because if I become a Christian, if I become one of those Jesus freaks, I'm going to lose my standing among my colleagues at work, the other kids at school, the other folks in the PTA, the other folks on my athletic team. And that is too traumatic for me to consider. Jesus talked about this. He did an analysis of the Pharisees. And in John 12, He says, For they loved the approval of man rather than the approval of God. I tell you, that is people's main, uh, one of their main frustrations and objections. It is they will not have the approval of maybe mom and dad or maybe their kids or their brother or sister if they're sold out to Jesus. And then there's this unflattering, I'll say it because it's in the Bible, commentary by Stephen, the martyr. Do you remember Stephen in the book of Acts? Right before he was stoned to death? And he explains to those who are about to do this, after he's preached Christ in such a beautiful way, he says, you stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to judge your heart. But you pay attention, please, to your own heart. Are you resisting the Holy Spirit? who even today, through the songs that we sang, the Scripture that was read, the preaching of the Word, are you resisting the Holy Spirit who is calling you to join in the worship and the service of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God? You know, I mean this. I don't mind if you resist me. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. But don't resist Jesus. Don't turn from Him. He is the one who calls you. He is the one who summons you. He is the one who welcomes you. He is the one who presents you to the Father clean. If you are in Him, you are clean before God the Father. And if you're like the kid in the the preschool that says, you're not the boss of me, That impulse is in you. I don't care what age you are. That impulse is in you. Ask, Lord, have mercy upon me. For Jesus is not just the boss of me. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is God incarnate who made me and who redeemed me. And what is so beautiful, and this is point three, is that even in the face of their rejection and hostility, Jesus does something beautiful. The same is true in the Gospel of John, but in Mark 2, verse 10, he then says to those who object him, listen to what he says. You see it there in verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, 
pick up your bed and go home. And Jesus wants you to know who he is and to receive the forgiveness of sins. At the end of the Gospel of John, as you know, he began with this blockbuster that Jesus is God, he concludes at, in, at, in chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in, these, in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John Piper says this, he says, that the words about Jesus Christ are to awaken the unbeliever to faith and to sustain the believer in new life. And that's what Jesus does. Oh, my friends, forgiveness of sins, life in his name. Do not resist him. I have to tell you, when John Gerstner stood to give his final word to those black-robed judges there that made that terrible decision that day to admit a man who denies the deity of Christ. I could see he's six foot four, broad shoulders. I could see he was trembling. He was disturbed. And he quotes from Psalm 2. And he says, I do respect you who are placed in authority by virtue of your office. I will grant you that respect, but I tell you what is said to the kings of the nations. Why do the nations raise, rage? They mock his chosen king. He who sits in the heavens scoffs, and he says, Be warned, O rulers of the earth, be warned. Kiss the Son, lest you be destroyed and perish in your way. And he turned and walked out the door. And I'm like, wow. In the 1970s and 80s, some of you will recognize the name Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey was a great radio commentator. He told marvelous stories, and he wrote this. I will finish with this. This is about a modern man, one of us. He was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, did well in business and his dealings with others, but he did not believe in the incarnation, the stuff that churches proclaimed at Christmas. It just didn't make sense to him, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm sorry to upset you, he told his wife, but I would feel like a hypocrite if I went to church on Christmas Eve. So you can go. I will stay home. I'll wait up for you. They went. He stayed. And as the evening progressed, the snow began to fall, and then the wind began to blow, and suddenly he hears a thump at his window, and then a thump after that. Somebody's throwing snowballs at the window right outside the fireplace. And he goes to the door, and he looks, and he sees a flock of birds who had been uh, lost 
in the blizzard storm, and they saw the firelight, and they flew into the window and knocked themselves silly. And they're fluttering around on the ground. And this man, being a kind man, I've got to help these birds. They'll freeze to death in this blizzard. He looks and he sees the barn where he keeps his children's pony. He walks across, puts on his galoshes, walks across, and he opens the door and turns on the light. says, come into the warmth and the safety of the barn. And the birds just flap their wings around in front of the window. They don't budge. So he runs over and he tries to shoo them toward the barn. They just scurry around him, afraid of him. He says, I know. I'll get some breadcrumbs. I'll sprinkle some breadcrumbs to get them to come over into the barn. And they pay no attention to the breadcrumbs. He's frustrated. They'll be warm and safe. What can I do to help them? If only I could become a bird and speak to them in their language and lead them to the way of safety. Suddenly, there in his yard above the wind, he hears the bells chiming from the church. Adeste Fidelis, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. And his heart is melted, and he drops to his knees and worships. What about you? Are you at the place where you have received life in his name? Cling to Jesus. He is life. He is life. What about you? Are you one who would say, yes, I am stiff-necked. I'm slow. I'm reluctant. Listen. Hear. Hear the bells. Hear them ringing, calling you to believe and to come, come, come. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the one who came, and we want to just bathe ourselves in his great love, the ocean of his love. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love. There is none like you. There is no one fairer than Jesus, no one more beautiful than you. O Lord, give us eyes to see. And Jesus, may we be resting in the joy of knowing you. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to just have a season of worship now. Don't look at your watch. We're not going to rush. Let's just have a time to worship the fair one, the Lord Jesus Christ.